This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. We got another day of NBA action. And with FanDuel, every night is a watch party. So it's time for your FanDuel crew to make their bets. So, what's the move tonight, gang? You know that new customers who bet $5 get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Woohoo! We're heating up, fam. Bet all the stars with all your friends and make every moment more only on FanDuel. New customers bet $5 get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Make every moment more with FanDuel. One plus and present in Virginia. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-withdrawable bonus vest that expires seven days after receipt. See full terms at fanduel.com slash sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. everybody and welcome to a new edition of the award-winning talking about cars where it's all about everybody has a car story from celebrities to car personalities i'm randy cardoon this week we enter the world of roadkill the online video series and the magazine with editor alana share who didn't really grow up as a car person and was heading in a completely different direction with her life when the car bug hit even though she wasn't a car girl early, she does remember the first car in her life. Oh, that's really easy because my mom drove a 68 Chevy um, named Daisy uh, until I was in high school. So um, that that's I've got a lot of memories of that car. Now, are we talking about a Camaro, uh, a Impala? <laughs> it was an Impala. It was ah. a four-door Impala. It was... I think originally silver, um, but it was sort of primer and rust is the way that I remember it. it had a black interior. I very distinctly remember those seat belts with the uh, GM sticker in the center, and they're really pinchy when you're a little kid. You can get your whole finger in there when <laughs> yeah, exactly. the button comes back up. Um, so uh, it was an automatic shifter on the on the column. Why was it so rusty? It was from New York. My parents are from New York, and it was... I believe it was my dad's dad's car, maybe, originally. And so my mom learned to drive in it, and then they went to Illinois, and then to New Mexico, and then to Northern California, and then finally to Southern California, and the car went with them all those places. How many miles did it have on it? I was both too young and not interested enough to even think to ask that. Agree. Understand how that works, especially at a young age, although I do remember growing up and looking at all the cars coming by and it got to a point where you could go oh that's a 56 Pontiac Star Chief that's a 57 Oldsmobile that's now of course I've already dated myself mentioning all those really old cars but you know back then and even in the 60s you could tell the difference from year to year yeah well it was funny because I I didn't I mean I wasn't interested in cars as a kid and I didn't grow up in a car family my mom just liked that car and because we had it for so long, it really had a personality in the family. And I do remember having a Hot Wheels car uh, that was an Impala and being 
able to recognize that it was the same car as my mom's car and really liking it for that reason. So so when you were going through whatever you wanted to do in life, you were going to school, whatever it was, what was your initial career path that suddenly took a detour when you got into the car biz? I went to art school. Um, I went to UCLA uh, and got a Bachelor of Fine Arts. And um, I did a lot of photography. I did a lot of mold making um, for sculpture. So bodies, peaches. I worked for a sculptor, and so uh, his his name's Charles Ray. He's quite a well-known um, artist, and so he was doing uh, he was doing several things. He, so while I was there, we were doing a tree. He did a a big giant like dead tree, like in pieces, and then put it back together. And then uh, we did a tractor. Which uh, and my job when I was there as an assistant was uh, disassembling the tractor because he knew that I had like some mechanical wrenchy skills. And where did those come from? Well, you'd have to ask him. You'll have to get him in. Here. No, no, no. I meant your <laughs> wrenchy skills. Where, 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 because because I, <laughs> I was like, that, I don't know. I don't want to talk uh, for Charlie. Uh, no, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> no, I meant you have wrenchy oh, skills. So well, where did they come from? I mean, so um, I was really late learning how to drive. I didn't know how to drive in high school. I didn't get a license until I was already in college. And so when I got a license, I had to buy a car because I didn't have my parents' car to use. And my neighbor, he was really into Mopars, and he's like, "I'll help you buy a car, but you know, you got to get an old Chrysler." And I was like, "Yeah, cool." You know, I just thought it looked cool, and I liked the idea of the sort of independence of learning how things worked. So. I bought a duster, and uh, I think before I even had my license, I'd had to change the starter on it, because li- I lived in Hollywood, so it was like street cleaning every week, and you like go out there, and it's like, oh, <laughs> like, now what do I do? <laughs> um, so, you know, so I mean, when I, I had just basic turning a wrench type skills and an interest in learning how, the, how things went together and came apart, so... Um, I think that's why Charlie put me on the tractor project. So the Duster was basically your first car? It was, yeah. So it was absolutely my first car. Did you do all the maintenance on it, or did you take it to a mechanic, or how did you do it? Uh, it was a mix of those things. So, uh, I, like I said, I had this neighbor who was a friend and also um, like you know, had some mechanical skills. So he helped me with a bunch of stuff, and through him I met a bunch of people who helped me. And I also went to a mechanic enough times to realize that you cannot go to a mechanic if you want to have an old car as a daily driver. <laughs> like that is not a thing that anybody in college or just out of college can afford to do. Exactly. So you have to either learn how to fix it yourself or, you know, go go get something more reliable. So you're working to be an artist and and somewhere along the line you start noticing cars and you start writing. Yeah, well so um in the artwork that I was doing, I was already doing a lot of photography of cars and even some paintings and stuff. And so I liked them already. And I had this little duster that I liked. So it was this whole sort of um, like secondary subculture of what I was doing parallel to working in art stuff. And um, I I was a minor in history and English. So, you know, I, I already had a lot of writing skills, but I wasn't intending to go into journalism at all. Like that was never something that I was thinking of doing. And so once I graduated from college... And I was still making work, still in the art scene, getting jobs here and there. I started getting more and more jobs that were car-related and also realizing, hey, I really like art and I want to be able to enjoy doing it, but maybe I'm not cut out to be a gallery artist um, because it's a really hard gig. Uh, It's hard to pay your bills. And I could see my friends... That's important to pay your bills, yeah. (laughs) I could see my friends sort of struggling, not just to make money off of their art, but also to 
continue to be excited about it because it was so hard, you know. And so I started doing the art more, you know, just for the fun of it. And I started looking more for jobs that were using what I'd already learned about wrenching and then mold making. And so I did some, you know, I did a summer of work for a, a guy with a restoration shop just taking apart things. And then um, I had I got a job at a motorcycle shop um, in the in the back. They did rear sets and exhaust systems and things like that. So it was just b- basic putting things together and sort of shop like shop maintenance stuff, ordering bolts and that kind of thing. But I learned a lot from it. And from there, I moved to another motorcycle place that was making carbon fiber bodywork, which used the mold making skills that I'd learned in art school. At that point, I was pretty well engrossed in the racing stuff. And I was like, this is really cool. I got a job in PR, automotive PR, and I learned a lot doing it. But I do not like PR. It's so hard. (laughs) Someone's always mad at you. (laughs) And I really wanted to be doing what the people I was helping were doing. You know, I really wanted to be doing... You wanted to do the fun stuff, basically. I did. I wanted to do the writer's jobs. And and so eventually Hot Rod Magazine had an opening. And I knew the people there because I'd been working with them through PR. And I asked the editor-in-chief at the time, it was David Freiberger. I was like, would it be weird if I applied? Because I'd never seen any women do that job you know the whole time I was in PR I was like there may be like three women writers I ever talked to and they were always on like the luxury brands or the off-road stuff they weren't nobody was ever doing hot rod stuff and so I thought maybe there was like some sort of rule that I just didn't know about (laughs) and David was like no Paragraph six, chapter fourteen. You can't. No girls. No girls in hot rod stuff. Okay. So yeah, David's like, ah, oh, I've been wondering why you didn't apply earlier. I was like, why did you tell me this? But <laughs> they uh, never do. Yeah. So I applied and I got the job, and so I was at Hot Rod for three years, three or four years, and it was awesome. And I went through a couple of editor and chiefs there because David moved on to do this roadkill stuff which is this video show he's been doing with Finnegan. And then that kept expanding into events and its own website and its own little magazine. And so finally he came to me again and said, you want to come over on this side like, and run, you know, sort of run this for me while I'm doing the video stuff? Well, I said, it, sure thing. <laughs> it's interesting because for those people who haven't seen it yet, Roadkill Magazine actually came after Roadkill the TV show, which is kind of like contradictory to the way things used to be, where you'd have a magazine and, hey, this is popular, let's make it into a TV show. But they went the opposite direction. And for people who don't know David Freiberger, he's been doing all sorts of interesting things with cars and rebuilds for years now. I mean, you could see his YouTube videos all over. I mean, his stuff, I almost look at Roadkill kind of like a, a cross between Hot Rod Magazine, Wheeler Dealers, Mad Magazine, and Saturday Night Live because <laughs> they take these cars, they make monster cars out of them in some of these cases, and, and they do all sorts of crazy stuff. Yeah, it's so fun. Uh, I mean, really, I know it sounds sort of simplified or naive but the whole point of it is to just get back to having fun with it um that's what hot rod magazine started as and uh hopefully still is but it's a little more serious and i think that roadkill kind of gets back to the guts of it where it's like why are you doing this it's all it's about freedom to move it's about stuff to do with your friends it's challenges to yourself and uh, it's really a good time and so it I've had so much 
like so many good adventures this year with David, and it's so fun to watch him and Finnegan work together on these things. Can I can I say too that these are not cars you'll ever find at Barrett Jackson? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you take cars, and I and I love the fact that you'll put on all sorts of different things on the engines to the point where you don't have a hood on the car because. It won't fit. <laughs> it won't fit and it'll overheat. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, I, I was just looking at one of the videos uh, where they had a, um, an old AMC Hornet. They had, they had to like take the deck lid off because they needed to have the uh, tr- autom- autom- uh, the transmission breathe. I mean, just so it well, wouldn't overheat. It, and it was sort of an off-road car. This is our new episode. Uh, and uh, and so they'd whoever had originally built it had run a tranny cooler in the back, which is fine if you're running it sort of Baja 1000 style with no windows or hatch on it. But if you tried to run it on the street and it was a street legal car, sort of, uh, <laughs> then, and you well, had, it had headlights <laughs> and taillights, I guess. <laughs> you had a license plate um, and you had a deck lid on it, then the tranny cooler didn't work because no air was getting on it. So, you know, it's these sort of things where we kind of find all of the... Uh, all of the weak points when you when you take something that was designed to do one thing and you have it do something else. There are so many shows out there now that take cars and really put a lot of money in them and make them look cool and really expensive. And I mean, the Kindigs, uh, there, there, there are all sorts of guys that do that, you know. But you guys kind of go after any car on the street that maybe the one that dad's been putting the you know had in the backyard or in the garage for eons you drag it out you throw some things on it and then you just run the heck out of it well yeah cuz i think that people really needed a little bit of encouragement to do that sort of thing because i don't think anyone would say that a six pack barracuda or a big block corvette isn't an awesome car that you would absolutely want but most of us probably can't afford that if you can afford it and you know you're looking to adopt please contact randy but um you know most of us can't afford that stuff and so it's really easy for the entire hobby to seem out of reach especially maybe if you're younger and you're just getting into it and you look at these glossy cars and you look at the barrett jackson auctions and you think there's not like i can maybe afford like an 80s mini truck like i could get an s10 can i still like is there anything i can do with an s10 and i think what Roadkill is here to say is absolutely get an S10, get your grandmother's gremlin, whatever it is, we can figure out something fun to do with it and you can be a part of this community. And you could go off-roading with it, you could do all sorts of things with it that maybe you only dreamed about being as crazy as it could be and you guys show that a lot of times that's all you have to do. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty funny because if you break down a lot of the episodes and you're like, oh, well, what's the plot of this episode? And it's like, well... The guys kind of mess with the car a little bit, and then they find a dirt lot and they do some donuts. You're like, well, is that all? It's like, yeah, but no, just trust me. Trust me. It was good. It was a good time. (laughs) We didn't get caught. We didn't get arrested. It was good. Yeah. Half the time, it's not even illegal, you know? I mean, it's like, oh, well. Only half the time, it's not illegal. uh, Three quarters. Okay. Uh, 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 Yeah. uh, Yeah. I don't know about that. Um, But it's a lot of fun to watch, and if you ever had a chance to do it. Did David ever explain to you why, where that concept came from? Um, it developed a little bit organically. I mean, I don't think that he set out to have a a secondary brand. Um, it started just at Hot Rod where he recognized what we were just talking about, that um, it, we had moved away from the sort of budget stuff, which has always been kind of his favorite thing. Um, 
and that we'd we were maybe um, outclassing a whole new group of people who wouldn't have any entry point into into the hobby of car stuff, and he wanted to sort of fix that. And um, and he also just wanted to do some fun stuff, like goof off and and do some video things. Um, and so it started because the company had a deal with YouTube. It was when YouTube was first trying to get a bunch of um, you know new shows and. So they had a deal, and they were like, "We'll make some content." And he's like, "Oh well, let's do this as a it'll be a, it'll be a gag," and it really took off. It really spoke to people. What is it exactly? Do you think it speaks to them from the standpoint of uh, just doing something that maybe the everyday Joe can do, as opposed to you know doing something that you have to take to a custom car shop and cost a million dollars and that kind of thing? I think that's absolutely what it is. I think that. Um, it's 100% about showing people having a good time doing something that you could do. Maybe you couldn't do it or wouldn't want to do it to the extreme levels that David and Mike are doing it. Um, but you can buy a cheap car, whichever cheap car you like, and you can get some friends together and you can take it on a road trip or you can go to the local drag strip. There's n- nothing stopping you. And I think a lot of times people need permission to have a good time. They need someone to say, totally okay for you to do that. Now, there is something, if you go to their website, roadkill.com, one of the headers there that they have is the 24 Hours of Lemons. Now, of course, you've heard of the 24 Hours of Le Mans. We know, or excuse me, Le Mans. (laughs) I I talked to Joey Hannon. He goes, no, no, Le Mans. Okay, right. I I knew that. Sure, I'll go with that. You're going to take that from Joey because, you know, he's kind of goofy. Yeah, I know. But uh, he said it mildly tongue-in-cheek, but he was on the phone. I couldn't really read his face. (laughs) Now, the 24 Hours of Lemons that you guys have is unique, I think, because, yeah, you've got interesting cars and all sorts of wacky old vehicles, but you guys take it to city upon city upon city, it seems. Well, so we are partnered with the 24 Hours of Lemons, and that has grown hugely. And it's another group of people who basically doing the same thing, saying road racing is really fun. Uh, We need to lower the entry point so that more people can go road racing. Um, And that's how the 24 Hours of, of Lemons started, where the idea was that you came out with a very, very cheap car, not a demolition derby necessarily. Mm-hmm. You're not supposed to hit each other, but a very cheap car, not super fast. The safety is is good because the cars are not running 140 miles an hour. And they would rent tracks and they would have these races. And it's really grown. It's gotten a little more serious. The car, some of the cars are faster now, but they still have a lot of junkers. And, well, uh, you see a lot of things like old Volvos from the yeah. 80s, and, and they're on your website, uh, they have a sh- couple pictures of them, and it looks like they put 57 Chevy Finns on them <laughs> and all sorts of other strange... I kept think, looking at them initially and going, are these Australian? Did I miss something? But There's no, th- definitely an element of theater to the Lemons stuff, and then they've expanded to have these Lemons rallies, which is what you were talking about in Monterey, and they have another one on the East Coast, where um, it it takes the track competition out of it and it's just about going on a road trip with a whole bunch of other wacky cars and seeing basically who can last the longest (laughs) so if people wanted to be involved in something like that do they check their website do they check your website either way that's why we partnered partnered up because i think we we both want people to be able to do the same thing so uh, there is a 24 hours of lemons website and all of their various social media that's where you would actually go if you wanted to sign up and if you just sort of want to get an idea of what they're doing 
uh, go to roadkill.com and click on the lemons button. The whole idea of media has really been set on its ear over the last I don't know, 10 to 15, 20 years. Once upon a time, we all just watched our TV stations locally. Now there are so many uh, places we could get our entertainment. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, we used to go from magazines to vehicles. It is really, in your opinion, just looking at the way media is changing almost every week. Is that kind of where we're going? If I knew the answer to that, I'm look- asking I you to be, look into the crystal ball. I would be able to afford all of the six pack Cudas and big block Corvettes. But um, just what I'm what I'm seeing and my gut instinct is that right now video is very hip. Um, I don't think video is going to go away. I think that it's great to be able to partner video with uh, written forms as well because you can't always watch a video, right? Like, you know, you can't you can't watch a video while you're in a class or having a conversation with somebody else, but you could maybe check something written. Sometimes you can scan quicker in a written story. I always like to com- combine video with some writing stuff cuz sometimes the video they edit it up. There's stuff that gets left out, right? Maybe there's backstory that you'd love to be able to put in but it'll take too long or it'll derail the story. So the way that we've been doing it at Roadkill is that everything um complements everything else. So the videos um there's, you know, we'll do galleries and behind the scenes on the website. We'll do deep dive stories in the magazine about some of the cars that maybe, because people see them have an adventure, but they might not know all the tech details on the cars. And then um, all of it is, um, there's social media that that uh, goes along with all of that as well on Instagram and Facebook and YouTube. And then, of course, our video, uh, the, the Enthusiast Network, which is our parent company, has a whole video program now, which is the Motor Trend On Demand program, which is a subscription video service. And so that's Roadkill plus, at this point, I don't know, it's like 20 other shows, mm-hmm. and they keep adding more. So it's almost like an all-car television channel that you can add. You can watch online, or you can add it to like a Roku or an Amazon subscription or that kind of thing. That's interesting, the whole idea of the Enthusiast Network, where you've got so many different sources. You know, you mentioned uh, social media, and there are so many social medias now, uh, locations. I mean, once upon a time, again, I go back to the good old days of Facebook, YouTube, uh, you know, twi- Twitter considered old school, and <laughs> and almost Instagram is almost considered old school nowadays. How many different presences, if you will, on social media do, do you and or Roadkill find yourself on it. I'm going to have to count on my fingers. Um, I mean, we do try to keep it... And mo- where do you draw the line, I guess, yeah. is my question. Well, I mean, it, I would say that it's always a flexible line. you got to pay attention and see if something's worth getting into further, or maybe you wait and see. I think that we're past trying to jump on each new one as it comes out, because stuff comes in, comes out. And it's, it's like, what is the use to our audience, is the way that I look at it now. Because um, they do take a lot of time. So, uh, you know, we do a lot of Instagram because a lot of what we do is visual. It makes a lot of sense on Instagram and a mm-hmm. lot of our audience is on Instagram. Uh, we've, we started doing Instagram stories, which we didn't used to do, which is sort of like Instagram's version of Snapchat. Um, and then, you know, obviously we do a lot of Facebook. We use Facebook for uh, a lot of our event stuff, getting people out. We do, we do a lot of sort of... Um, live video and FAQs on Facebook that we then turn into uh, formal videos where we'll get the questions from Facebook and then we'll ask them to the hosts and make a a formal video on Motor Trend On Demand. Um, 
And then, you know, we're on Twitter as well because it's nice. It moves fast. Mm-hmm. It's a good, and also there's a lot of motorsports stuff on Twitter. If you want to be able to communicate directly to a racer or a race team or follow a race, Twitter's definitely the like best spot for that. You can really, uh, you can see everything sort of in order as it's happening. Best new social media site that you've seen that might work for you guys? <laughs> um, or newer? You know, I haven't seen anything spectacular come out recently. I mean, I can't... I, can't even name anything in the last few months anyway that that seemed you know that <laughs> seemed so worthwhile and, you know i mean for a while snapchat was tempting but then snapchat's really got its legs cut out by instagram going to stories so um i'm not sure i'm not sure what we need yet i'm sure there is something <laughs> but you know it, it all changes as the technology changes too so um We'll just have to see where that goes. Absolutely. By the way, for those of you who do not believe uh, that Ilana lives by the credo she works for, the question that I always ask people fits in perfect here. What's in your garage? And the better question, how many are in your garage? (laughs) Okay, we just moved everything around, so now I've, I've lost track. Well, currently in your garage is a 69 Dodge Polara, which is what I drove here today. Kind of like the old CHP vehicle. Yeah, yeah. every time I, anywhere I go, I feel like I'm in a car chase in like the mod <laughs> squad or something. Um, and then uh, I have a 71 Opel GT. Um, I have a 1970 Dodge Challenger, which I just got running uh, this week. It, ha- it had been down for a while. What kind of engine in it? It has a 505 cubic inch 440 stroker. <laughs> Yikes! <laughs> I don't think they made that that way back in the day. Okay. No, it's, uh, as they say, slightly modified. Slightly. Yeah, okay. Not stock. Um, <laughs> what else have we got? Uh, 1969 Charger RT, um, 71 six-pack Barracuda. We've got a 64 Ford dump truck, or tow truck. We have a 68 Dodge dump truck, 69 Plymouth Satellite Wagon, 1976 Dart Light, Spirit of 76. Um, oh, we have... I'm Dick- running out of fingers. Go ahead. I'm going to start counting <laughs> we have, my toes. We uh, have 1968 Dodge D700 ramp truck that was originally Dick Landy's. That oh, We've been wow. working on restoring. That's pretty exciting. And a 79 Dodge Dually. Um, and a 92, maybe, Cummins Turbo Diesel. Oh, wow. I think that's it. You think? I didn't. I. That's a pretty good list. A. Where do you keep them all? Uh. Well. <laughs> well so when we. When, How big is your garage? The garage is not big enough. Um. So most of them are are outside. But when we were house shopping, which was a while ago, um, Tom drew a little picture for a realtor, and you get know, this is radio, so people can't hear see this, but um, it had a little tiny house. And then next to the house was a drawing of a giant garage. And he's like, this is what I want. We didn't actually get that, but we did We did get a, a property that's fairly large for Los Angeles. So um, we were able to build something, and then we have a fairly big concrete pad to keep everything else. I got to know the stories behind the dump trucks. Why dump trucks? All right. Well, it started with the ramp truck when Tom... Tom really wanted a ramp truck. Do you remember when Prudhomme restored the Snake and Mongoose ramp trucks? Absolutely. About, like four years ago? Sure. So we'd been following all of that. 
And, and for uh, those of you who don't remember, remember when you were kids in the Hot Wheels and they had the little um, Don the Snake Prudhomme and Tom Mongoose McEwen, they had uh, the little, well, they had the, the race cars that they had with all the logos and they had ramp trucks, which is where that's how they transported them to the shows and stuff in the races. So go ahead. Yeah. So it was like, those were like the semi trucks of the day. I mean, that was, that was big dog stuff. So. Um, we'd been following Prudhomme's restoration, and uh, we'd even gone down to his shop and got to see the trucks before they went to Bear Jackson. Really liked them, and so Tom had been searching for one. That's a whole story by itself, his finding it. But so we got that, and so then he's buying parts for big Dodge trucks, which amazingly are, or at the time were fairly available because they did make a lot of them, and. Um, there were a lot used in armies internationally and stuff. So we, you know, we were like getting gaskets from Turkey and stuff like that. <laughs> and uh, he needed a a bumper bracket, and so he found this truck and, that was local, and it was the truck. The whole dump truck was less money than just the part. Than just the part. Mm-hmm. So he buys the truck, drives it home from Pomona, and then uh, likes it so much he doesn't want to take it apart. So. Your reaction when he drove up in that dump truck? Um, I was all for it. I mean, I, I was actually out of town when he bought it. For... You were like the best wife ever. <laughs> that thing is great, though, because every time that kids come visit, like whether it's my niece and nephew or our friends who have little kids, we're just like, send him outside, let him climb on the dump truck. Like It's like a full-size Tonka truck. There, I have yet to meet a kid who isn't just like saucer-eyed with joy about it. Boys, girls, doesn't matter. They all want to climb on the dump truck. Wow. So it's a good babysitter. And the other just happened to... Um, Oh, the tow truck, the Ford? Yeah. Um, That was a friend's dad's. He had bought it new, and he knew that Tom kind of had this habit of rescuing orphan trucks and was sort of like, I don't... It's just been sitting in, in my yard for 30 years. Do you want it? So he just gave it to Tom, and Tom was all happy, and we... Got it all running. Now he's like, I don't know what to do with it. We pulled trees out of the front yard with it. Well, that's good you found something unique and different to do with it. That's Yeah, we're out of trees. <laughs> Denuded the rainforest all with a tow truck. Well, why not? After all, you know, that's kind of cool. So They were dead. I feel like I need to say that. Oh, good. So I'm glad he's not pulling live no, trees. No, I'm a fan of trees. I wouldn't let him pull Okay. Something else you're a fan of, I just happened to look at your, you know, when I was kind of going through this, I happened to look at your Twitter account, and I noticed there are more pictures of dogs than there are of cars. <laughs> I do kind of keep the Twitter account more dog-specific. Um, there's more cars on the Instagram account. Oh, is it? Okay. Well, not that there's anything wrong with that. Um, <laughs> I am a fan of dogs. I do try to, uh, well, I'm a fan of all. How many all dogs critters. do you have? Only two. Only two, two dogs. Enough. Yeah. <laughs> Are, are 10 or 12 cars enough, or do you plan on getting more? Um, I, it's difficult, right? Because there's things I would like to do that we don't have the right car for. Like, I um, I recently did some rally cross, mm-hmm. and it is so fun. I really recommend it. That mm-hmm. is a great kind of racing. But I don't quite, none of the cars I have are like exactly right for rally cross. So maybe we, I, you know, maybe I need like an old Subaru or something like that. I don't know. That would be kind of like a Subaru Brat or something. Well, actually, you'd yeah. want something a little. Like the wagon or something? Yeah, I mean, any any of those little all-wheel drivey type things. We all have lists of the cars we want somewhere down the line. If we find the right one, and it doesn't have to be the right shade, but it has to have one headlight or two or however we want it. What's the top three cars on your I want that list? 
That's funny because I I actually have um, the main cars that that I want. I I wanted an Opel GT, and so I found one. I wanted a Challenger. And for those who don't remember the Opel GT, that's what we called back then the uh, Mini Corvette. That's right. Yeah. It's so cute. It's like one of the – if you were making a list of the cutest cars ever made, Mm -hmm. um, it would be on there, like along with like the Bug-Eyed Sprite. Um, Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But um, let's see. What else do I – I really – Okay, don't laugh at me. I really like the disco Corvettes, like the late 70s Corvette, um, like side pipes and flares and all that. Like, I would kind of go for one of those. Like, I immediately thought of goldfish in your shoes. <laughs> <laughs> it's not the outfit. I don't need the outfit. I just, oh, okay. I like those cars. I think they look cool. I know that they are really not good cars, but um, I, I like the way they look. Um, what else would be on the list? I'm a huge fan of the Dodge Viper. Um, yeah, I'm surprised you don't have a Dodge Viper. They're a little... I can't afford the tires. Oh, you'd be burning them all day long? Even if you just run over a nail, like, you know. I yeah, mean, I have cars true. that are worth less than the tires <laughs> on a Viper. <laughs> you could, how many of your cars could you drive in the uh, 24 hours of Lemons Race, if you wanted? Um, I think the only car that would... Maybe they might let me put the wagon in and they might let me put the they might let me put the opal in although it definitely has more than the oh you know money um but most of them are are actually pretty nice i mean well that's by lemon standards okay good so car you, you may have gotten rid of at one point that you wish you didn't and could have it back i uh, I never have gotten rid of a car that I wish that I could have back. Let's see. The only cars I've ever sold, I sold the Duster, my first car, um, and it went to a great home, and I liked it, but I don't want it back. Um, and I, I had a Coronet briefly that I sold. It's a fine car. I, How I old? It was a, I think it was a 67. Um, it was kind of a flip. Mm-hmm. Like it was a, and um, we might have also done the same thing with the Satellite. But uh, I don't really, I don't miss any of them. I mean, they were nice cars. Other people got them. They'll Mm -hmm. treat them well. Yeah. I had a 1968 Chevy Malibu that I had for 17 years. I put a hundred and good grief, 130,000 miles on it until my 307 blew up. Through a lot of different circumstances, the engine I put in it lasted pretty well, but then at one point... I ended up using it. I lived in Utah for a while, and I ended up using it as basically my snow car. So you're sledding around and doing all this, and then you have to go buy another car to make it. Yeah. So yeah. when by the time that went, I, I had had. A, I like the design of the car, but you kind of move on. Yeah, I mean, we've we've had some cars come through that were cool. Uh, Tom had a Sport Fury convertible that was pretty neat, and uh, he had a Roadrunner that was a cool drag car. But again, you know, we have. We have most of those things covered, you know. If you want a B-body, we've got a Charger. Like, you know, you want a wagon, we've got one. So. Mm-hmm. You got a Challenger. You got all sorts yeah. of things. You you have uh, all the Mopar categories, I think, yeah, pretty much they're covered. they're pretty covered. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I want a Manx. We were, can I go back to that question? Yeah, go ahead. I forgot. I, I want a Manx really bad. Myers Manx. Yeah. I think yeah, those can, things are great. Basically, it's a dune buggy in yeah. essence. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of cool. It's also on the super cute car list. Super, You have a super cute car list? <laughs> Ilana Scher from Roadkill Magazine joining us here on Talking About Cars. Here's something a little bit of a curveball. 
driverless cars. Uh, there's a big push to get these cars on the road and all that. I'm curious what your opinion is of driverless cars. Um, well, I don't personally have any desire to not drive. I mean, I like driving, uh, but I do understand that many people don't. And I also understand that many people shouldn't. So I'm not against driverless cars. Um, I think it's going to be very confusing to figure out what to do in a transition period when you have both driver cars and driverless cars. Um, I don't really understand how you can how you're going to do that when you've got humans and robots working together. But, you know, I mean, if it all works out and, you know, we just start having like dude ranches for cars or whatever, I mean, I, you know, whatever, <laughs> I'll, I'll find a way of enjoying myself. I used to be a lot more uptight about it. And uh, I just realized that I can't speak for everyone. A lot of people don't like cars and I'm not going to make them like cars by being a jerk about it. I understand that. That's very, uh, that's very giving of you. <laughs> A lot of the people who drive classic cars, older hot rods, that kind of thing, are frankly older people. You know, a lot of guys who have memories. Mom drove this car or dad had this hot rod or that kind of thing. Do you find, because of the nature of Roadkill's audience, that you find a lot of younger people really getting into the hobby? Absolutely, and it's so fun. I mean, I, I really enjoy talking to... Um, you know, to everybody who's into cars. And so I, I have no complaints about talking to older people who are into cars because they have incredible stories and they were able to live through things that to me are just written history. And so it's great to hear someone talk about a, an era or a decade or of a car coming out. Um, but I also very much enjoy meeting younger people who are into it and being able to encourage them. I think that uh, being younger and getting into cars is sort of, there are a lot of similar insecurities as maybe I faced getting into the hobby, um, you know, as a younger woman. And so uh, I feel like I can actually be of real use to people when they and they also feel more comfortable coming to me with that stuff for whatever reason. I don't know. Like uh, I get a lot of emails and messages and stuff that are. You know, it'll be like, hey, uh, you know, I'm kind of into this. What do I do? Or is this cool? Or whatever. And I'm always like, yeah, whatever you want is cool. Like, yeah, do it. Um, but, yeah, it is really fun. I, I mean, I got a, a text once from a, a girl that I had met at one of the car shows at Hot Rod Power Tour, actually. And, I, you know, we'd sort of checked in on each other every, you know, every few months or whatever. And so I think she was 14 when I met her. And then, you know, she sent me a, a text, whatever it was last year. It was like, I got my driver's license. You know, and it was so cool. I felt, like, all proud of her. Like, you know, ah, oh, my little kid's growing up. <laughs> <laughs> so I like that stuff. Well, speaking of kids growing up, what's your advice for kids who uh, are kind of looking around at what they want to do and, and see what you do and go, you know, that looks like something that'd be a lot of fun. How do I get into that? <laughs> and especially women. You know, who who don't normally or at least don't seem to normally get involved in that. Uh, there's plenty of opportunities. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess it depends on which part of it they're interested in. Um, let's start with sort of just automotive industry um, stuff in general and, you know, women. But all this applies to men, too. But, uh, you know, if you're interested in the engineering stuff, which I wasn't particularly skilled at, but... Um, there are a lot of really amazing jobs available if you're good at that stuff, and they do, it gets you right up in the action, you know, um, motorsports or 
OEM or working for a, you know, like a restoration place or a hot rod shop. So, you know, there are usually classes, you know, welding classes or um, automotive classes you can take. Uh, I took classes at Pierce City College. I mean, some of the city colleges or technical colleges have classes if your high school doesn't. And it's a, it's really fun and it's really empowering for anyone. Uh, if you've grown up in an era of just sort of replacing things as they break, to go and learn anything about fixing or fabricating is a kind of superpower. And you will find all kinds of ways to use it, whether or not you're interested in cars. So mm -hmm. I really recommend some kind of class like that. Learn how to use tools. Uh, if somebody specifically is interested in um, in what I do or what David and Mike do, the sort of automotive journalism stuff, first of all, I would say eat a lot of it. <laughs> you know, read, read it, watch videos, start to recognize what you like and don't like. Um, what makes someone good at it versus someone not so much because there are all you know you're going to see it, it's all over the place and it's not the same so figure out what you like and then you'll kind of be able to work towards that angle of it rather than just being all over the place um, and then just do it I mean one thing that's amazing about the internet is you can start a blog all by yourself it doesn't cost any money really easy they got templates all you have to do is take some photos and write something and you don't need an audience to write something, start doing it for yourself. Maybe it's just you and then you show it to your mom and she tells you you did a great job. But it's a really, really good practice. It's good practice at writing. It's good practice at making things come together because it's it's pretty easy to go to a show and take a lot of photos. And the hard part is coming back, going through all those photos and being like, well, this one was good. This one's bad. Did I talk to this guy? Like, who's that lady? Did Was she with this car? So just going out and doing it even for yourself will, will kind of get you... First of all, you'll figure out if you like it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it'll also give you a lot of practice. And better yet, it'll give you something to send to people when you are starting to feel confident. Okay. Now we've got a couple of quick questions here before we let you go. We always talk to the audience as we go to uh, cruise nights and we go to car shows and we ask uh, some of the people in the crowd some, some questions just to get their uh, thoughts on. For example, your scariest moment in a car. Because oh. hmm. you do a lot of driving. <laughs> you, we, we see if, if you take a look at the videos on YouTube and, or, and uh, Facebook and all that, uh, you get behind the wheel a few times. Yeah, I'm trying to think of what my scariest moment was. I don't think that it was any sort of racetrack related moment. I think it might have just been like, you know, uh, having somebody turn against a light in front of you and having to having to not hit them. Because, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I've had breakdowns and stuff, but it's always been solvable. Do you carry tools with you wherever you go? I usually just carry a screwdriver and an adjustable wrench because basically anything that needs more than that is already probably more than I'm going to want to do on the side of the road. And it's probably involving a AAA card or something yeah. like that. So it's like, I, I completely but you can like you can change a you can change a coil or something with with just those tools or and, you know, that's usually the, the sort of stuff that goes wrong. One thing you did in your parents car that they still don't know about. Since I never drove my parents' cars, oh. I don't have anything really scandalous. Um, but I do remember, my mom knows about this because, well, you'll see why. When I was very little, our driveway was on a hill, and um, the we were getting out of the Impala. My baby sister was still in the, in the 
car seat and one of us hit the um, shifter and knocked it out of gear and the car rolled backwards with my sister in it and it knocked my mom over and it ran into our neighbor's tree and the neighbor never knew about it. Nobody was hurt except my, my mom got a bruise. Didn't damage the car? That was a 68 Impala. Could take on all kinds of trees. <laughs> Probably knock the tree down before you get a dent on something like that. No. <laughs> but I do remember that. I remember it very well. I remember we had we had talked some time ago about uh, your seven stages of greaser grief. Oh, yeah. One of my columns for Hot Rod. That was an early one. Do you remember those? Um, I don't. I couldn't name them right now. Oh. Um, but I followed the... Um, it followed the the standard stages of grief, which I think were it was something like you know denial, anger, bargaining, acceptance, release, or whatever. Um, just with greasy hands. Yeah, you know, <laughs> with, with like when when something breaks and you're just like, no, this can't be happening. Like like how dare you? How dare you, car? I'm like please, car, please don't do this to me. And then you know like all right, fine, like it'll be okay. Be that way. Yeah. Let me call a tow truck. Finally, you ruined me. <laughs> I hate you. So, that, well, all right. If you had a chance, uh, if there's a way to look that up. I uh, think it's on hotrod.com. Yeah, you ought to check yeah. that out. It's pretty funny. <laughs> and and finally, where do you see yourself in the next few years? Where do you think roadkill is going? Well, I mean, I would like to rule everyone, right? <laughs> Isn't that? I mean, yes. Tomorrow, take over the world. All right. Um, I... I would like, uh, obviously, I'd like the audience for Roadkill to grow. I'd like um, more people to be aware that there is a website and um, and a magazine as well as the video show, and to be more engaged in coming to our events and sending in their stories and information. And uh, so I think that would be great because I I know that there are a lot of folks out there who could probably benefit from having a a online buddy say, "Yeah, come on, join us. This is a really good time." Roadkill Magazine editor Alana Share. Don't forget to check out Roadkill at roadkill.com. And don't forget to subscribe to all of our podcasts here on iTunes and our new home at radio.com. Plus, rate us, write a review, and tell all your friends about our show and our website, talkingaboutcars.net. Make sure you follow us on social media as well, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and watch our videos on Facebook and YouTube, as well as our Sunday segment on KNX 1070 News Radio in Los Angeles. Until next time, I'm Randy Cardoon. Join me as we have some fun talking about cars. The NFL regular season is wrapping up, but there's still time to get in on the action with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. That's $150 in bonus bets, win or lose. The app is so easy to use, and there are so many different ways to bet, like live same-game parlays, find bets in the new Explore tab, make a parlay in the Parlay Hub, the best way to find popular parlays, and more. So visit FanDuel.com SportsFan and make your first bet a layup. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. Must be 21 plus and present in Virginia. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. A bonus issued as is non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER.